We're going to talk today about your next step. And in order to do that, I want to go ahead and ask you, uh, on the back of your bulletin are, are the notes, and I've put a little quiz on the back of your bulletin. So I want to start right there. So if you've got that, take a look at that. We're going to put it up on the screen, but I want you to think about this. You don't have to check it if you don't want to, but if you were to have to choose between these four statements, what would you choose? When it comes to my walk with Christ, I'm struggling. There may be some of you sitting out here goes, you know, that he hit the nail on the head with that. When it comes to my walk with Christ, I'm really struggling right now. Second box says, when it comes to my walk with Christ, I am at a standstill. I just don't feel like I'm going anywhere at all. I'm just, I, I may not be losing ground, but I really don't feel like I'm gaining ground. So I'm just kind of stuck. Third box says, I'm moving forward, but slowly. My, the progress that I feel in following Christ and becoming more like Jesus daily in attitude and action that really does not feel like, I don't really feel like I've got a, a lot of traction, but I do feel like I'm moving forward. And there may be some of you that go, hey, listen, I'm at a point in my life right now in following Christ where I really feel like I'm thriving. I really feel like I'm hitting on all cylinders right now. Things are really going well. I'm learning more about Christ. He's affecting my heart, affecting my attitude, affecting my life, impacting my family. And I'm really excited about where I am in Jesus right now. Now, Reality is that some of you may go, you know what, there isn't a box here that quite fits me. I kind of feel like I'm between boxes. I, I, I'm not really, I, I feel like I'm moving maybe a little, maybe at a moderate pace rather than slowly. I don't feel like I'm really thriving right now, but, but I do feel like I'm gaining a little ground. Maybe things are headed in a real positive direction in my spiritual life. Wherever you are, inside one of these boxes or somewhere in between them, Wherever you are on your spiritual walk now, there's a next step for you. God never calls us simply to, to sit still and not move forward. Now, he does tell us to be still and know he's God, but, but we don't want to take that to mean that we're, we're not to advance in our spiritual life. Because really the spiritual life, the term that is used in the New Testament so much for a spiritual life is walk. Walk. And remember, when Jesus called people, he called people to follow him. So there's movement involved in the spiritual life that we have. So what we want to do, and the whole purpose of, of putting this up here, is not to get you to pigeonhole yourself. Okay, this is, this is an invitation to evaluate. Every time I go home, I live on Country Club Drive, or what was formerly Country Club Drive while, when there was a country club there. Still has the name, but not the country club. Okay. We have speed bumps, and I know exactly where they are. What are the purpose of speed bumps? Get you slow down. Right. And when you're slowing down, they also typically want you to kind of make sure you're observing the area around you. So they're there for a purpose. They're there to slow you down from your speed that you were traveling. Now, uh, at the end of my street, I have a stop sign. And what is the purpose of a stop sign? That's get you to stop. What I'm hoping for some of you this morning is that this time we spend together in God's word might be a stop sign for you where God says, okay, stop. I want you to think about 
where you are in your spiritual life. You've been going night to nothing. Your life is busy. It's hectic. You've been torn in a thousand different directions. Stop. Think about where you are. Think about where God's leading you. Maybe, maybe God's not bringing you to a complete stop this morning, but maybe he's getting a speed bump laid out there in front of you in order to get your attention, to get you to stop and consider where you are in your spiritual walk. If you happen to be in one of those high-speed chases, uh, the, the police might try to get ahead of you and use one of those spike strips. You know what those are? Those things they lay out on the road that puncture your tires and bring you to a stop whether you want to or not. Well, here's the thing I want to encourage you to do. Observe the speed bumps and the stop signs that God puts in your life. Because if you don't, you're going to run over a spike strip. And it's going to wipe you out. So we want to, we want to take the time today. Do you remember? You remember how it used to be if you were traveling on the interstate, you stop at the rest areas, and you'd go over to the big map that they had, right? They had a huge map, and then it had the, all the highway systems on it, and somewhere on that map would be a, a red dot or an X that said, you are here. Let that be for you today. You're here. And ask God, okay, God, where am I? Where are you leading me? Where am I going? Some of you have no clue where you're going. You know you're going. You just don't know where. Let this be a time today when you go, you know, am I I truly spending time with God and asking him, God, where, where am I right now? Where are you leading me right now? Let this be a time where you ask yourself, am I, do I have a course direction or am I just drifting? just kind of floating out there on on whatever life brings my way. Am I just spinning my wheels? Am I getting nowhere? Then these questions are are not intended to make you feel guilty. That's not what this is, is at all. This is a speed bump. This is a stop sign on this journey that you have. And I'm glad you're here this morning so we can do this together. Now, One of the ways that we've tried to do this is with our 60 days of intentionality. Some of you got started with us on our 60 days of intentionality. And uh, on February 24th, I believe was the date, we gave something out that looked like this. Um, And what we asked you to do was to open it up and look at the stage of life that you are in, whether you're single or married or grandparents, got kids, no kids, to look at that stage of life where you are and to, to look at that and kind of evaluate yourself. With nobody looking over your shoulder, nobody, you know, trying to say, hey, listen, let me, let me see what you're writing down, but just to evaluate yourself and, and to determine where, are, where am I in my spiritual world? Where am I in my spiritual leadership? And so we asked you to do that 60 days ago. Now, in a little while, for those of you who did that, we actually have these, if you'll notice, in the seat in front of you, underneath. You actually have a second survey, which is just like the first one, except the first one had a little flap you tore off as your reminder. This one doesn't have that. So I'm going to tell you what to do with that in just a little while, but I want to let you know it's there, and we will get to it in a few minutes. But the first thing I wanted to do was to share with you some scripture that really had, that God's been dealing with me 
on this week, and I hope will be an encouragement to you. So if you've got your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2, that's in the New Testament, it's one of Paul's letters, Philippians chapter 2, we're going to look simply at two verses this morning, verses 12 and 13. We'll put it on the screen for you, if you want to open it up in your Bibles, that's great, Uh, but this is an opportunity for us to hear from God as we consider this spiritual journey that we are on. Let's pray before we read this. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open up our minds that we might perceive, open up our hearts that we might receive, open up our lives, Lord, so that we might be willing, having heard from you, understood from you what you're calling us to, that we would be willing to follow. So Lord, help us to hear you this morning, to really, really hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, what, what does God's word tell us? Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 12. What do we read here? Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Some of you get, jump on that and you go, okay, I I get it right off the bat. But let's take some time to walk through this. And the first place we want to begin is exactly where Paul begins with the word therefore. Therefore. Now, let me give you a little hint. This is true whether, no matter what literature you're in, but especially true when you're reading the Bible. When you see therefore, you always want to ask, what is it therefore? That's easy enough, right? If I see therefore, I want to ask, what is it therefore? Which means I need to put, put it in reverse. I need to go back and see what it is that, that was said before that in order to help me to better understand how to apply what's being said now. Therefore, it causes me to look backwards. Maybe it's a few verses, maybe it's a chapter or two, but it always causes you to look backwards. So Paul begins with a Therefore, now we're not going to go back and read it, but let me tell you what it was that Paul was talking about in those verses leading up to verse 12. Paul is pointing back to the Christian life, the Christian walk, and what it could look like. In other words, he's painting a picture of this Christian life, this this calling that we have as followers of Jesus. He's painting this picture of the Christian life. And in it, he says that uh, we are to live a life that is marked by three things. Joy, love, and humility. We're to live a Christian life of joy, of love, and humility. And he goes on to say that it's to be a life that looks like Jesus. Okay, now that's what he's laid out. That's, that's the premise. Um, this morning, I, I, some of you may have seen yesterday, there was a shooting in a synagogue in California. The, uh, the guy that did the shooting evidently is a 19-year-old young man, a, a, a college student planning to go to medical school. His dad was an Orthodox Presbyterian, I think that's what they said, Orthodox Presbyterian priest or, or, or minister. And he even said that, you know, this has nothing to do with my dad's teachings. 
But I would think that this guy, if you ask him, based on how he grew up, are you a Christian? He'd probably say, yeah. There are many of us who, if someone would ask us, are you a Christian? Yes. But when we read something like this, it causes, causes us to reflect on what our life as a Christian is supposed to look like. A life filled with joy. Is that your life? A life that is marked by joy, that people know you as a joyful person? Now, does that, that doesn't mean you're always, like, up here, okay? That means you're always thrilled, always happy, everything's always good. Hey, this morning I came in, and, and Ralph Danson testified to this, this morning I came in and some of these rows were really crooked. They were way out of whack, and that bothered me way more than it should have. He stopped to pray for me. Because there's so many little things in life that will absolutely snatch your joy. We used to tell our kids when they got upset, who licked the red off your candy? You know, who's stealing your joy? And we need to recognize that we live in a world full of joy stealers. But we're called to live above at a higher level as we follow Christ. And here's what you discover. The closer I get to Christ, the more the joy becomes natural. I'm not having to force it. I'm not having to fake it. It just flows. Love. A life marked by love. That people look at you and they go, okay, that, that person reflects love. A life of humility. Listen, a lot of us, a lot of us struggle with pride and this, this, this ridiculous sense that somehow we're superior to other people. We struggle with that. But we're called to a life of humility and we're always pointed straight to Jesus. He is the perfect example of it. But if we are truly following him, then where is he going to lead us? He's going to lead us to joy. He's going to lead us to love. He's going to lead us to humility. And so Paul says, hey, this is what the Christian life can look like. Therefore, this is what I'm going to charge you with. And then he begins. He says, work out your own salvation in fear, with fear and trembling. Now, I want us to be careful when we read these words. Notice, he does not say work for your own salvation. That's completely different. We know God's word is clear that we are not saved by our works, not saved by our goodness. You are saved by grace through faith, and this is not something you've done yourself. It is the gift of God and it's not by work so that no one can brag no one can boast hey I did it myself we are saved by grace so we know when Paul says work out your own salvation he is not saying work for your salvation because listen none of us could ever work hard enough to get that so what then is he saying to us literally he's saying this you who are Again, he uses the word beloved. Did you notice that? You who are loved by God, knowing what you're called to, beloved, keep moving forward in it. Bring it to completion. Work it out. Work it out. Work it out. Now, I want to go ahead and tell you something. You're not saved by grace. 
But that word work implies effort. Some of you may have said, you know what, now that I'm a Christian, I have, it's like, it's, it's like playing Monopoly and you go and you draw off the deck the get out of jail free card, okay? And you kind of hang on to that card for the time that you get into jail, you can play it. Some people think, you know what, as a, as a Christian, I've got my get out of hell free card and when the time comes, I can play that. But until then, I can do whatever I want to do. I can live however I want to live. That's not exactly what the gospel calls us to. We are saved by grace. But we are called to follow Jesus and to work out our salvation. In other words, we have a calling. We have a, a mission that God has given to us. We're not just saved to take up space until we die or until Jesus comes back. We're saved not only for something, heaven, we are saved to something. We're saved to be more like Jesus and to act more like Jesus and to make an impact in this world. And so God's plan for you is not just to save you, but for you to be maturing disciples who make disciples. Get that? Maturing disciples, growing in my faith, but also it's not just about me growing, it is about me making other disciples. You're called not only to be a co-heir with Jesus, but to be a partner with Jesus. Think about this. Doing what? A partner in loving people. We know that that, that God is love. We, we talked about that last week. We know that God so loved the world. Guess what? You and I are called to be partners in loving people. We're called to be car- partners in serving people. Remember we talked about the life of Jesus and he often found himself with the, with the down and outs and, and the, the, the up and outs and down and outs. He was with both of them. We find him washing the feet of his disciples. We're called to partner with Jesus in serving people, to step down out of our our position in order to, to serve one another. But we're also called to partner with Jesus in saving people. Now, we don't save them. We don't save them. God does the saving. But we have been given the message of reconciliation that God is reconciling the world to himself through his son. And he has given to us, given to you, that message of reconciliation. You have this great commission to go and to tell people that God loves them, that God loves them so much he sent his son to die on a cross for them, and that he did it so that they might have life forever. You have that. Now listen, I want to be plain and simple with you. I believe, and we teach as a church, and I'm not trying to offend anybody, but you need to understand this. There is only one way to get to the Father. That's it. The Bible teaches no other way to Him other than through Jesus. That's it. And if we believe that, then it should not only be reflected in how we live, but in what we say to others as we invite them to come into the life that we have. 
the life that we've discovered, not earned, but what we've received from God. Work out your own salvation. And then he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And, and some of you may have read that and said, you know, this, this fear and trembling part, what in the world is this all about? Because I don't, I don't really like that. Fear, I didn't think fear was a good thing. It, it, I didn't think fear had any place in the Christian life. What does that mean? Obviously, as Christians, there are things that we don't need to fear anymore. We don't need to fear death. Death has lost its sting, is what we're told. We don't need to fear Satan. Satan's already been defeated. We don't need to fear hell. Hell is not our destination. There are things that we do not ever need to fear again. So what are we to fear? Well, the Bible says that we're to fear God. And you go, wow. Why should I fear God? Isn't, as, as a believer in Jesus, isn't he my father? Doesn't the Bible say that God is my friend? There is an appropriate fear of God. This is a terrible, terrible illustration because it falls so far short of the ultimate reality. Uh, but you should have a healthy fear of electricity. Okay? You should. Does that mean you should never touch a light switch? No. We do that all the time. We turn lights off and on. Does it mean you should never plug something into an outlet? No. We do that all the time. We've got to run the vacuum cleaner. We've got to plug in a lamp. Uh, you know, we have to plug in the blow dryer. Okay. All right. That's a little different, though, than saying, hey, let me pop the cover off this thing and stick a screwdriver and wiggle it around in there a little bit. I have a healthy fear of electricity. That doesn't mean I don't use it. It doesn't mean I don't access it on a daily basis. It just means I don't fool around with it. It makes me really uncomfortable when I hear, sometimes it's athletes, but sometimes it's just regular old people that talk about God and say, oh, well, he's the man upstairs or he's the big guy. You know what the Bible says about it in Hebrews chapter 12? Our God, now this is a Christian talking, our God is a consuming fire. In other words, don't don't trifle with God. You need to understand, even though he is your father, even though you are the, throne, the, the doors to the throne room are thrown wide open to allow you to come into his presence, and we can boldly approach the throne of grace, we should never bring God down to our size. We should never make God smaller than he is. Go back as you're reading the Bible and, and note those times that people come into the presence of God and they hit the deck because they recognize just how holy, just how awesome, just how glorious this God is. And we need to have that kind of fear that, that not just, it's more than an awe. We need to understand that if God wanted to, he could wipe us all out just like that. It's only by his grace, only by his mercy that we are in his presence. It's not because we deserve it. It's because he loves us. So the Bible teaches us that we are to fear God, but I would also say that there's something else that you and I need to fear as followers of Jesus Christ, and that is the fear of wasting our lives. You are given one life. That's it. There is no reincarnation. 
There are no do-overs. There are no mulligans when it comes to life. You're given one life. And as a follower of Jesus, that life you have is devoted to him. We should fear wasting that life. That doesn't mean we're working for our salvation. It doesn't mean we're working for God to love us. He loves us anyway. But none of us wants to stand up before God with just two hands full of ashes and say, okay, God, with all that you did for me, with all that you gave to me, to all that you entrusted to me, all I I have is ashes. It was all wood and hay and stubble and now that here I am in your glorious presence I realize that I spent my life and accumulated only ashes that's not what God calls us to we are to work out our salvation in fear and trembling following Jesus for us is not a pastime it's not a part-time job following Jesus is life Now, while we are working out our salvation, what's God doing? God's not out just kind of leaning on a fence post going, I don't think I'd have done it quite that way. No, what is God doing? God is active in the midst of our working out our salvation. God is working in us. And in a very real sense, God is working through us as we are working out our salvation. God's working in us. Philippians chapter 1, Paul gives this beautiful, beautiful sentence. He says, I am sure of this. Of this thing I am certain, he says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. God is at work in you today. Right now. He is at work in you today. He is at work uh, in your will, and he is at work in your actions, your works, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is important because God is not simply into behavioral modification. That's what we try to do, right? We We try to change people's behavior. Don't do that again or do more of that. That's how we handle things. God works at it from a different angle. God's into transformation, changing us from the inside out to change our wills, to change our desires. And I'm so grateful of this because it's only when we begin to change on the inside, our heart, our thinking, our desires, it's only when that is transformed that true life living transformation can ever happen. It'll only happen as we, some of you have struggled with things over and over and over in your life, and you've tried, you've tried to break that habit. You've tried to do something differently. You've tried to live in a different way, and you fall flat on your face every single time. But God's not just into behavioral modification. He's into changing your heart and to giving you a new desire. And so God, as we are working at our salvation, God is at work inside us on our wills as well 
as our works. Now, when we started this 60 Days of Intentionality, we recognized that personal and family transformation was only going to take place as each of us were following Jesus daily as a way of life. As a matter of fact, on your journals, if you, got, if you picked up the Following Jesus journal, it says following Jesus and then the big word life because we believe that following Jesus is life for those of us who are in, in Christ. That is what life is all about. And when we follow Jesus as a way of life and things begin to change, one of our church's core values says that all healthy things grow and all growth involves change. If we're healthy, if we're growing, we're going to change. The church can't do this for you, but we can come alongside you. We can encourage you. We can support you. We can resource you. Another of our values says that every Christ follower has a personal relationship, a personal responsibility to take ownership for his or her own spiritual growth. That's you. While we as a church have a responsibility to provide the inspiration, information, and resources necessary for that growth to occur. And the 60 Days of Intentionality Plan is a tool to try to help you grow. And so what we want to do right now is we want to take just two or three minutes, okay? Go ahead and reach down, pick this up. If you filled out and turned in this bifold survey previously, then we want you to take this and look at the same blocks you filled out and just on the little white blocks on the, in the inside, then would you gauge yourself on those one to five scales? And what we're going to do is we're going to take this and we're going to compare it to what we got previously and just kind of see if during 60 days there's been any change. Now, as you're filling that out, for those of you who didn't, you're like, well, what do I do? We want you to take this because you can start yourself, your own kind of little 60-day plan, and you can kind of say, okay, what is it in my life that I want to change as I'm following Christ? What, how do I want, my, I want my life to look differently in 60 days? How do I want it to be different in two months than it is right now? And you can take this home with you. You can use this as something to help you to pray. But let me just give you just a couple of minutes to go and complete that survey if you did one previously. you know at the end of the service you may be wondering what do I do with this this is not something if you filled it out that you take home the two boxes that we have on the back side here there's two slots in it and this will fit right in there and I know last time when we did it 60 days ago 
Uh, you may have tried to put it in the slot and it wouldn't go all the way down. Guess what? It will today. All right, so just drop it in there. We will collect these and we will compare uh, and, and see um, where, where you are and uh, the difference that, that has been made. One of my favorite cartoons growing up and even into adulthood is Peanuts. You know, Charlie Brown, Snoopy, Lucy, and all those. Peanuts cartoon had Charlie Brown striking out once again. You, you remember Charlie Brown. If you, you know Charlie Brown, he was always, you know, not able to kick the football. He was always giving up home runs when he was pitching. And he was always striking out at the plate. Some of you go, I'm Charlie Brown, right? Yeah, you, you, feel, you can identify with Charlie Brown. Well, there's one particular cartoon Charlie Brown had, had struck out. And as he walked back to the bench, he said, rats. That was always his word, rats. I'll never be a big leader, leaguer. I just don't have it. All my life I've dreamed of playing in the big leagues, but I know I'll never make it. And then Lucy chimes in. Now, Lucy's not typically the encourager, right? But she chimes in and she says, Charlie Brown, you're just thinking too far ahead. What you need to do is to set some immediate goals. Charlie Brown stops. He says, immediate goals. And then she answered. She said, yes, start the next inning. When you go out to pitch, see if you can walk out to the mound without falling down. Some of you feel like that. And your next step in your Christian walk, it may not seem all that impressive to the people around you. It may be like walking out to the mound and just falling down. But don't let what others think keep you from taking that step. Don't play the comparison game. You may have a mother or sister-in-law or cousin or somebody who seems to have it all together seems like they read the bible every day without fail matter of fact when when they have to look up a book in the bible it seems like that they just go right to the page and you're awfully impressed this person may be able to pray these beautiful prayers and it seems that they even know how to put the these and the thous in the right spot when they're praying. This person, maybe it's a sister-in-law, maybe it's an aunt, maybe it's a mother, whoever it is, this person goes to church every single Sunday. You've never known them to miss a Sunday. And as a matter of fact, they're so fanatical about it that even when they're on vacation, they come back and they bring the bulletin back to the pastor. Say, so here, I've been, on vaca- I've, been, I've, I've been on vacation, but I went to church. And you look at that person and you go, man, my life compared to that person's life, oh, man, I don't measure up. I want to tell you, listen, take the next step. Take your next step. Not your sister-in-law's next step. Not your mother's next step. Not your brother's next step. Not your pastor's next step. Not your small group leader's next step. What is your next step? You see, no matter where you are in this spiritual continuum, 
The call of Jesus is the same to all of us. He simply says, follow me. Right where you are, follow me. Henry Blackaby had some influential words, and I I remember these clearly from the first time I went through the study experiencing God. He said that you can't stay where you are and go with God at the same time. And some of you this morning, you need to make a decision. I'm no longer content to stay where I am. I know God has a call on my life. I've got some idea what direction that call is, and I'm ready today to take that step to move in that direction. Because believe it or not, for every believer, there is a next step. It doesn't matter if you started following Jesus yesterday or you've been following for 80 years, there's still a next step. There's somewhere God's leading you that you haven't been before. Maybe it's to having more of a prayer time or getting into God's Word. Maybe it's sharing your faith. Maybe it's coming together as a family and doing a family devotion. Maybe it's serving someone that you'd rather not serve, loving someone you'd rather not love. But whatever it is, work out your salvation. That's part of your journey, knowing that God's working in you the whole time. God can give you what you need to take that next step in your journey. Now, there's some enemies. Procrastination. Anybody got a problem with procrastination? Some of you? Okay, some of you have said, well, I would have put my hand up, but I was procrastinating. (laughs) Distraction. Hey, world's full of distractions. Easily, easily distracted. Selfishness. Hey, it's all about me. Busyness. That is, hey, I've got too much going on to to do what God wants me to do right now. These are all enemies of following Jesus. They're all enemies of spiritual growth. But our call is real simple, to become more like Jesus daily in attitude and action. It's simple. Take one more step. Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Church, says when he meets people that his desire is to bring them one step closer to Jesus. Well, I want to tell you every morning, every morning that God gives you is an opportunity for you to get one step further along behind Jesus as you're following him wherever he leads you. So here's what I've done. Some of you have already filled this out. Would you look at the bottom of the back of your bulletin? Down at the very bottom, it says this, my next step is, and then there's a box. It's empty. Can I ask you not to leave it empty? If you don't know what that next step is today, would you ask God this week, God, show me what to put in that box. Would you help me to know what my next step is? To show mercy to someone, to to forgive someone, to go and ask for forgiveness from someone, to learn how to share my faith, to open and read God's word, to pray with my children, whatever it is, would you... Would you find, ask God, help me fill this box out and then be willing to take that next step. For some of you, it may be a first step. Maybe you need to come to Christ and today is the day that God has called you to make that decision. For some of you, you may need a church home. I'm excited. We had a bunch of our teenagers who were at a D-Now weekend 
And I'm sure they were challenged this weekend. Many of them may have a next step, something God has laid out in front of them. But we all have a next step. What is it for you? And are you willing to take it? Let's pray. Lord God, we are grateful. We're grateful that you don't call us and then park us. But you save us for a purpose. And you give us a mission. And we get to be partners with your son Jesus in completing it. And so this morning I would pray for those who need Jesus that you would draw them to you. For those who need a church home that if this is a place you're calling them, you'd draw them to you. If there are those who simply need to come and make that decision, put a stake in the ground and say, from now on, from now on I'm following Jesus, then Lord, let this day be their day. You call them. Let them hear your voice. Lord, show us our next step. And we'll take it. Whatever it is. We pray it in Jesus' name.